Before we get to this week's episode, we get messages all the time. Some good, some honest. I don't want to say bad because each interview, each episode hopefully offers a little something for everyone. Project at Outlook.com would love for the projectors to reach out to us. Kelsey did and said, Johnny and Holly, after hearing Carrie's episode last week, thank you. It was something that I've had to deal with in my past and I appreciate her honesty and your willingness to bring it up and to talk about it. Bless you guys. Kelsey, I couldn't imagine having to go through things like that, but it is a good reminder that we are all going through whatever that may be. And uh, I'm sorry that it was something that you've had to go through. And the thing is, is that we don't, as we heard from Kara, we don't heal overnight. And that's kind of one of those things is that we dive into a lot of really deep and heavy conversations sometimes, and we appreciate that feedback and knowing that there are also people who are going through whatever that may be. So thank you again, whether you're uh, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you want to email whymeprojectatoutlook.com. We do read the feedback. We do appreciate the feedback and know that uh, we are thinking and praying for everyone who uh, does listen to each and every episode. But it's a good reminder that even though it's in our past, it still affects us. That's actually something that we talk about this week with our amazing guest. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Holly, it was episode 25 when we sat and we talked with uh, Greg Musselman. I know that it's been so many years ago, but uh, he is uh, such a great guy. He really is. I We've watched him on TV. We've heard radio shows. He has such a passion for uh, the persecuted church. He's just, you know... One of our favorite people in Edmonton. So as we look at, because I mean, uh, we've I, I've had the opportunity to work with Greg. I've had the opportunity to work with Amelia's sister as well, Sarah. And so I figured, why don't we just make it the trio and uh, get uh, Amelia Musselman. Uh, Amelia, how are you? A little stressed out with school and just, I think, like navigating a post-COVID world. But overall, pretty good. Just kind of trying to get through the next couple of weeks, last leg of my semester. And yeah, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're adjusting well, I think. Are we, though, in a, a post-COVID world quite yet? I, I feel like, I don't know. We're just when do they call that? <laughs> well, we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Amelia, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay. I guess if I can look back on kind of where I was born, I was born in St. Albert, Alberta. And then we moved to Winnipeg when I, I think I was about one and a half, spent about nine years there came back to St. Albert and I've called this place home for since I was 10 years old and I'm almost 27 now. So definitely grew up here. I am in my second year of my master's in counseling. I write poetry. I self-published a book a couple of years ago, just about kind of my journey with um, my own mental health and just kind of healing and things like that. And I love dogs. Those are probably a few... A few components to who I am. Growing up in the Musselman household, what was that like with the dynamics of family and, and sisters and uh, just, you know, going through life? It was good. And there was challenges, I think, like everybody's home. So when I'm the youngest of four, so and I'm very I'm so much like my dad in the sense where we're talkative and we always want to be engaging with people. So 
being kind of that youngest child, I think I felt like I didn't have a voice a lot of the time Mm. and I wanted to, I wanted people to hear me. So sometimes it was tough being the youngest and kind of having my older siblings look at me like, you know, she's the youngest, she's the little girl. And then navigating growing up and having a voice now and having sisters has been incredible. And my brother, he's a nice male influence in my life as well. But yeah, having two sisters that I'm really close with has been such incredible support. They've helped me through so many hard times in my life. They've been my biggest cheerleaders. I fought with them, kind of all the normal things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then my parents, you know, they struggled like a lot of people do. And they've shown us kind of the realities of relationships. I think they've really shown me the authentic nature of relationships. And I don't think enough people have those conversations about how relationships actually are. So seeing that modeled and seeing an authentic, authentic representation of a relationship has really helped me in, you know, what I think about marriage and what I think about family. So it's, it's been good. Growing up in the Musselman household was overall really, really good. You talk about navigating difficult situations. You, you, you know, you're in counseling right now uh, with regards to trauma, which seems to be a big thing. Uh, from what I know, from what I remember hearing of uh, your dad, even telling stories, uh, hearing a bit of your story is that at some point in time, trauma and you, uh, you know, somebody who's happy-go-lucky all of a sudden started dealing with the things that wasn't maybe air quote normal you. Yeah. I would say that up until age 11, I was, would go up to anybody. I had no fear. I was like, my mom was like, I had to watch you because you'd leave with anybody. <laughs> and I just had no fear. I was so friendly. And when I entered I think it was more junior high. So probably age 12, actually. It's it's like people didn't like me anymore. And I couldn't understand why, because I'd been so loved and I'd been so accepted and walking into kind of a junior high setting where people weren't always nice and people had their friends and they didn't want to always include other people. That's when it started to shift for me. I started to feel, okay, well, what's wrong with me? And it's taken me, I mean, I'm 26 now and it's probably, I'm still working through those, those wounds and still working through what's wrong with me. Why wasn't I accepted? How come people were so cruel? And there's no definite answer to that. And we're all struggling through something when we're that young, like our brains aren't developed. So I have a lot of grace for myself, a lot of grace for other people. I think in those moments, it taught me that the world wasn't a really, a really safe place sometimes. And I'd go to school and I would just, I'd want to disappear. And I didn't have people. I didn't have any connections. And I had a couple of friends, but nothing consistent. It was really hard at times. Like I wanted to be homeschooled. I didn't want to be there. Mm. And that kind of started this whole identity crisis of why did God make me like this? Why did he make me this sensitive creature who gets her feelings hurt or this person who doesn't find a place to belong no matter where she, where she goes. And so that's kind of when things shifted and it's been a, it's been a journey, I think, trying to unpack those things through all these years. I think it's something that uh, a lot of, especially teenage girls and preteens, start to wrestle with is identity. And then there's the birth of the mean girl group or the jock group and the clicks begin to happen. And it can be so tough to navigate that. For you at such a young age, starting to realize that, you know, not everyone was kind and the world wasn't a very warm place. 
What were some of the things that you used to navigate that in a way to get to a point where you could understand and start to heal? I think it took me 10 years to address what happened. So I, when I was 22, I actually, when I was 20, I like to say I had a quarter life crisis and I started to question everything. And then it took me a couple of years until I was 22. And my mom's like, maybe it's time to to look externally. Like maybe it's time to go to a therapist and talk about it. So I called up a therapist and we hit it off right away, which is, which can be rare and it's really great. But I think that the tools that I started to use was just my therapist helping me understand that sometimes this is just life and it doesn't minimize what we go through, but sometimes this is what life is about. And it's not always fair and people aren't always kind. And, you know, we're not always kind because I, I wasn't always kind either. So I think that using that as kind of a building block to understand that these experiences are quite, they're quite common and it doesn't mean that they hurt any less, but it's kind of the human condition to be in pain sometimes or the human condition to not always connect well or to be, to kind of fit into a certain group and just writing poetry too. Like I started to externalize my pain in in that way, in a healthy way and going through a lot of, a lot of moments of sadness and rejection and taking all of that and just funneling it into my poetry and addressing it in that respect and having people come to me and say, I went through this too. Thank you for shedding light on it. Hmm. And just my own work in the therapy world as well. And becoming a therapist, I think it's going to be helpful to have this, to have pain about what I went through. And so I can help other people in that. But I think the biggest catalyst was probably starting to talk about it and to funnel it into healthier, healthier techniques like poetry and and just helping other people. You said that you were doing this in a healthy way. Was there things in your life that you were doing that were unhealthy? Yeah, I think so. So I would say when I was younger, um, I didn't always know how to address how I was feeling. So I got really angry and I was angry for a lot of the time and it was pain. It was just anger that was hiding pain. And there was never any like unhealthy coping mechanisms, but I think it was just more, more so like a depressed state where sometimes it was really hard to get out of bed. Sometimes I couldn't, I minimized my pain, like, well, everybody goes through this, so I can't feel this way. So I pushed a lot of it to the side and I didn't want to address how I was actually feeling. So I just kind of shut down and I would say, I kind of describe it like I looked at the world, like it was gray. And until I started to really address what was going on, that's when the color started to come back. So there was never unhealthy coping mechanisms, but I think it was just a matter of shutting down and not addressing what was going on. I love how you made that difference between, yeah, you're going through something that's tough, but other people are going through the same thing, but that doesn't make your pain any less. And I think especially now, I mean, we've heard the stats about COVID and um, you know, the, the teens and those who are graduating, the sheer volume of stress and mental health struggles they're having. I mean, I think it'd be easy to just, it's okay, everyone else is going through it and just you know, shifting it to the side. But it is so important to recognize that, yes, others are dealing with it, but we're all dealing with pain. It doesn't negate the fact of how you truly feel. When did you notice that and were, were able to make such a, a mature observation on this? In the last couple of years, because even in my first couple of years of therapy, 
it felt like I was just complaining, complaining like, well, because I, I grew up with a lot of people in my life who had hard like difficult times at home. And so because I had a stable household, I always felt like, well, my problems don't matter. And it probably wasn't until maybe even until I entered my master's program when we had to do a lot of self-reflection that I realized just because my pain might look different or just because it might be less impactful to other people doesn't mean that it doesn't matter in my life. And just not really being able to function well at times and, and knowing that I have to address this because I'm not doing well right now. And yes, there's people with more pain than me or different pain, but everybody has to, I think that we all have to address what's going on in our lives. And I look to other people too. And I, I think I always, I look at other people's pain, like it matters. So why can't I have the same grace for myself? Cause I do, I did have an issue with self-compassion and sometimes I still do. It's easy for me, I think, to look at other people and want to carry their hurts or, or heal their hurts or help them. But to try to help myself is kind of a, a difficult thing for me. So it's been a learning curve, but I think all the self-reflection that I've done in my master's program has been abundantly helpful in, in addressing it. How does this affect your faith going through it, going through junior high, people bullying, all of this, but yet you hear about this God who loves you. You hear about all this stuff at church, but yet you're not necessarily feeling that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I think I've never questioned God's love for me. I've always known that he's loved me and there were moments where I questioned my design. So I would say to God, why did you make me this way? Why didn't you make me fit in with the other, the other kids at school? Why didn't you make me not care as much about people or not in that it's a bad thing to care, but I just cared too much almost. Um, so I think I question how he created me sometimes, but I knew that he loved me. And I think just understanding that we do live in a world that, that is so imperfect and there's so much hardship here and understanding that sometimes the pain is just a part of life has helped me understand um, God's love for me and our relationship. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, I've, I've had existential crises before where I think, what's the point? I remember sitting with my therapist and being like, why were we created? Like, I don't get it. And he just kind of chuckled and thought, yeah, like I've been there too. I've thought that. So I've questioned, I've questioned why we were created why we have to go through the things that we do, but I don't think I've ever questioned his love for me because I know, I know that we live in kind of a sin cursed world. So these things are going to happen. So I have questioned why we live in a sin cursed world, but I think my relationship with God, I, I don't think that there was ever a moment where it was strained because of what I was going through. I don't think my faith was as strong when I was young. I think I thought it wasn't cool to be a Christian. So I didn't want to really address that part of me for a while, but it was always inside of me. But as a grown adult now navigating my faith, it is, I do have a good relationship with God and I don't, I don't fault him for anything. Maybe there's a part of me, like maybe there's other people who do, and that's also fair, but it just wasn't a part of my journey. We talk about, uh, we talk to music artists, we talk to authors and it's always, you as an artist, you as a writer, it's very personal. And then you decide as a, as a poet uh, to release all of me. Why did you decide to do that? Oh, that was my favorite thing I've ever done. Um, I have been writing since I was a little kid. So it's always been a part of who I am. And one day I was not, I was 
just struggling. And I just started to write because I wrote poetry when I was like 16. And then I stopped for a while. And then I kind of came back to it when I was 22. That was kind of a moment in my life. And I just started to, to write down what I was feeling. And it, was, it wasn't even really writing a book when it was happening. It was just writing an experience and writing how much pain I was in and my healing process and my growth. And then I just all of a sudden had this manuscript and I organized it and my mom did the drawings for it and the cover art. And I contacted a self-publisher and it just felt like it was part of my healing journey to release it. And even if not a ton of people purchased my book, it didn't really, I mean, that's always an added bonus if that happens, but it didn't matter really. I just knew that it was for me and it was me telling my story kind of in a unique way. And it felt like it was part of the, the healing journey that I was on. When did you realize that you had a talent for writing poetry? I don't know. I just kind of started to write. I, I started writing from a really young age and my teachers always recognized my work. And I wasn't, I was not academically inclined. I could not focus in class. I was always talking. There was not a part of me that was that academically inclined, but in English class, I always did really well because I knew how to write. I don't know how to do math. I don't really know how to do science. All I know is how to, how to write. So it came from kind of this, a very young age, and then it kind of resurfaced and it became this outlet for my pain. And then I would post it to social media and people would resonate with it. And I would say, oh, well, maybe I'm like kind of good. I don't know. I never really asked people they thought it was good. <laughs> I just kind of started to write. I felt like when I was writing, God was with me. And that was kind of, it was kind of him using me as a catalyst to speak about certain subjects. So you decide to go into kind of the world of psychology and learning more about that. I'm guessing it was your experiences when you were growing up that kind of led you down that path. But was it at all scary to do that deep dive into mm -hmm. that world when you know you're going to be diving into other people's pain as well? Absolutely. And I think I finished my degree in psychology a couple of years ago or three years ago now. And I thought I'm so excited to get into my master's. I can't wait. And then I got into my master's and I wanted to quit because my teachers, my teachers gave us the reality of what it was going to be. So my naive mind thought I'm going to help people. And I think that's a beautiful place to start. And that's, I think, where I needed to be. But when I started my master's and kind of have been journeying through it, there's been moments where I've thought, I can't do this. This is going to be so overwhelming. And it is scary to, I think, deep dive into yourself to access that empathy and deep dive into other people's problems and what they're going through. But there's just a part of me that believes that this is exactly what God wants for me. And because I've struggled so much in academics, it feels like a miracle that I'm where I'm at. And I just feel like it's God led and that's what keeps me going. Cause there are moments where I feel like I can't, I can't do it or moments where I feel like it's going to be so overwhelming, but I'm trying to learn a lot of self-care and I'm trying to understand that this is God led, but I for sure had my moments where it felt like, I don't know if I can handle this, or I don't know if I can navigate these really difficult conversations with people. There's so many different forms of therapy and play therapy or pet or art or music or talk. Is there a specific form of therapy that you uh, want to focus on or specific things about therapy that you want to focus on? I'm pretty open-minded in what I want to, what I want to do. And I kind of feel like wherever life takes me, but right now I really want to 
my end goal would be private practice working with individuals and couples. I think I'm very passionate about couples therapy because there's so much communication breakdown between couples. And I feel like there's such a need there. The divorce rate is so high. A lot of people's relationships fall apart and I want to be helpful in that avenue. And I feel passionate about, about kind of rekindling communication and connection with people, just individuals too, navigating those everyday stressors. I think complex trauma interests me, but I think it's something that I would do short term. I think it's, it's definitely taxing to kind of, to be in that space I'm open to all possibilities, but I think couples therapy is going to be what I, what I really want to do and what I feel passionate about. Does everyone need therapy? I love this question. I've had people say like therapies for women or, you know, therapies for like people who are, you know, <laughs> therapy often. doesn't work. <laughs> therapy doesn't work. All these things. I've heard it all. And I respect people's stances. I think everyone can benefit from talking about their problems. So whether that's in a therapeutic setting, or maybe you have a really good trusted friend, I think the issue is that people don't have the capacity to support their friends anymore. And maybe that's kind of been something that has been going on for years, but there's so much going on in the world and we're all dealing with so much that sometimes it's nice to go to a therapist who doesn't, doesn't know you on a personal level, who can't tell anybody what you've said to them. So I think everybody can benefit from it. Um, does everybody need it? I mean, there's probably people who have healthy strategies. I need it. I'll say like, I, I went to my therapist and I'm like, thank goodness I have this outlet. I don't know where I'd be without it, but that's also my bias speaking. Cause I'm going to be a therapist one day, but I don't think everybody needs it, but I do think everybody can benefit from it. That was very PC. I appreciate that. <laughs> And what's great now is that I think people are so much more open when it comes to talking about mental health and understanding that there are uh, needs that we have that do go beyond just, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, you need somebody with a bit more, you know, degrees behind their name and, and masters to, to help you navigate some of the tough situations. Uh, it's really interesting, again, having young kids of my own, looking at some of the stats about what we can expect as they get older when it comes to their mental health, they're saying that this next generation is paying more attention to self-care. And you mentioned that you've got some good self-care tips and tools. So for you, what are your favorite self-care tools, your go-tos? Yeah, self-care is so important. Um, I would say my self-care exercise is one, kind of gets those natural endorphins flowing. And I do believe it works. I, I know there's a lot of people that are like, exercise is key. And people are like, yeah, is it though? But I, I do feel like it is. it's helped me so much. Keeps me grounded. Also, I love like my guilty pleasures of watching reality TV. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just helps me disengage from life. And it's funny because when I find myself in a lot of pain or hurting, I just like to be entertained at times. So that can be really helpful. Just a guilty pleasure. Um, spending time with my friends and family and just doing like fun, silly things and just kind of not, not always having to have such a heavy conversation and just kind of keeping things light. Um, what else? Writing too is a huge form of self-care for me. Just taking all of my pain and putting it onto a word document on my computer or a journal 
that's been really helpful. And just talking about things and, and being around my sister's little puppy. Well, she's not a puppy. She's four, but she's a little French bulldog. <laughs> and she brings me so much joy. So yeah, I think those are a few things I do. There's probably so many more, but those are just a few I can think of. No worries. Before we go, though, we do have to ask about your why me moment. I guess I can probably touch on like quickly on both. My why, my positive why me moment. Why me moment um, was when I got into my master's. I thought there's no way that this should have ever happened. I I don't have the academic intelligence for this, but somehow God is pushing me through. So that was this positive why me moment of how come you chose me, but I'm going to roll with it and I'm going to do this and I'm going to honor this. So that would be a positive one. I think um, a harder why me moment was being a young girl feeling like I cared so much about the world and having that not reciprocated and feeling so misunderstood and feeling like, how come the love that I'm trying to give to people isn't being received? How come I don't feel other people's love? And I would say, yeah, probably at like age 12 is when I started to discover those things. And I remember just going home and thinking, like, why don't I have friends or why don't I have connection with people? How come, how come life is so hard and so heavy right now? And I would say that's probably my most profound moment because it would have been the first one. Um, but yeah, I would say kind of the positive and the negative. Those are probably two moments. It's good that we're able to talk about uh, therapy. It's great that we're able to dive into sometimes those things that uh, are difficult and uh, Amelia, we appreciate you taking some time. All of me is available uh, uh, online, Amazon, and all those other places where you get all your books that people read. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you to do the uh, uh, what the audio version. I'm not yes. a reader; it's 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 tough. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you taking a minute and uh, spending time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. It's amazing because working with uh, Amelia's dad and then working with Amelia's sister, just to sit and hear about her stories, but how she's really come through on bullying and trauma, that is awesome to hear. It's encouraging too. I mean, your kids are in kind of heading into the junior high, hmm. mine are younger. That's like one of my fears is that my kids are going to be bullied. But to see that there are so many tools, uh, I think there's so much more education surrounding bullying now that it kind of gives me hope and eases my mama heart knowing that should situations arise, we have so many more resources um, available to us than what our parents had when we were mm. growing up. Yeah. And we talk about mental health and there is a lot of, I mean, the Bell Let's Talk Day, there's a lot of great uh, organizations uh, encouraging people who are willing to come alongside you with whatever trauma or pain or therapy you need. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are going through something, could be anything, like Amelia said, it doesn't have to be huge, but if it's causing you pain, I just want to encourage you to reach out. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a friend, and uh, just start having those conversations and, and start down that road to recovery. You can download Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We are on MySpace, Pure Volume, <laughs> and you can also ask Jeeves. <laughs> Okay, some of those aren't true, uh, but you can always find us. You can search Why Me Project. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. Let us know what stood out most to you about today's episode. And of course, you can head to faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.